Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. It is recording. I'm stoked. I got, I got to tell you, this person and the company she works at, uh, my guest for today, I'm so excited. It's like a double excited day today because <laughs> she is awesome and the company that she works at is also awesome. I've been a longtime fan. So let me just tell you a little bit more about her. Um, more than 30 years of experience as a marketing leader, there are some things we're going to learn here about what you got to do to get it done from email and budgeting and all these different things, the go-to-market strategy, demand generation, branding. She's done it all. Customer success, bringing that to the table. Um, you know, a self-described marketing geek through and through, geek and chic, as they say. And um, I'm with you on the geek side for sure. I don't, I don't think I qualify for chic, but um, <laughs> I, I'm with you. Third time CMO, uh, grow fast and grow strong and fix things along the way. CMO at Litmus, Melissa Sargent. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing today, Casey? Man, you're so busy. There's so many things to say about. <laughs> We've got a lot going on. It's definitely a busy but very exciting time. Well, you know, like it's, it's, it's exciting. I'm a big fan of Litmus for sure. And now a big fan of you after we even just chatted briefly beforehand. Um, and so let's just get into this thing. We're talking email. We're talking personalization, deliverability, you know, budgeting during COVID. So I want to pass you something. It's kind of heavy though, for me at least. Okay. Um, here it is. Okay. Here you go. Thor's okay, hammer. Got, got it? it? Right, I've got, got it. Handle? Okay. Yep. Yep. Good. I got it. Oh, look at that. <laughs> the power is in you. I can tell. Uh, take Thor's hammer and smash for me some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception. Just set the record straight once and for all. All right. Email marketing is dead. Oh my God. Is it dead? It is not dead. It's oh, very alive. Nice. It, wh why do we see this? Why do people say things are dead? I think it's because it becomes part of our re regular curriculum and then it's no longer sexy and it's just kind of one of those things that can run in the background and people don't pay as much of attention to it. And there's so many other sexy things that we see happening in different marketing channels that feel more relevant, more exciting. And so things that are tried and true and have a demonstrated ROI can take a back seat to, to all the new sexy things that we have out there. It's like we're, it's like we're cats chasing lasers. And yes, exactly. Like, it's like, I know the laser is exciting, but you know that giant cat tower over there like that's your tower like you that you're right it's the tried and true things that we're taking we take them for granted we're like oh email it, it may not be sexy anymore um but it's like the lifeblood isn't it i mean that's how we communicate it really is it's your by far your most dependable marketing channel so for every dollar you spend in mark and email marketing you're going to get 42 dollars back in revenue that's a really incredible ROI in, you know, in today's digital marketing landscape. Wow. And that's, yeah, there's lots Jeez. of reasons for that. Um, you know, 
your subscribers are inviting you into their inbox. They're asking you to create that connection with them. And so they're giving you permission to send them messages, to send them promotions, to help educate them along their journey. And it's truly unlike any of the other mediums where you're actually invited by someone to come huh. in and talk to them. Right. I, I, maybe we're, we're so distracted by having to like battle to get someone's attention. They were like, we just take for granted the fact that somebody already is like, yeah, come, come on in. And we are battling um, for attention. I saw some statistics that showed that an average consumer sees 5,000 ads per day. Jeez. So when you're trying to break through that noise, you know, how do you get your message elevated and in front of somebody in a compelling way that makes them want to engage, learn, and go on that journey with you? And email marketing gives you that unique opportunity because they've invited you but also because you can learn so much about your subscribers and your customers through your email marketing program. You know, mm -hmm. you can see in the moment that engagement with your content. So if you see, you know, something that you've sent them, that's a particularly interesting piece of content for them and that they've engaged with it for a long time. And then they sent it to somebody else after they finished reading what you sent them you can take those insights back into your complete marketing mix and start you know, dropping that into your thought leadership, your media and your thought leadership and social media. You can drop it into your paid media programs. Uh, right. Email marketing truly has a multiplier effect that I think a lot of people overlook sometimes. Man, it's great to, it's great to have this discussion, right? Because again, it's, you know, and you got to even wonder, would people attend the webinar on retargeting tied to Alexa, Alexa speak voice commands, retargeting this, that, and, you know, or Facebook ads or something where you're just trying to distract, be one of the 5,000, or you've got a list of 500 people, 5,000 people, however many, how big your list is, 500,000 people who have said, yeah, let's go. And for whatever reason, you're on the, they're on the list and they haven't said no yet. So, wow. I mean, that does seem like pretty powerful, a dollar to $42. I think we kind of all know that, but we get distracted. Yeah. There's lots of shiny objects that can distract us in our marketing mix. And, you know, we, we think um, a lot about of all of these other shiny objects were really Email can sit in the center of that and help power and improve the entire marketing mix, whether you're doing something on the web, whether it's your social media, however you've got that mix optimized, email can be another input and driver as part of that. And we look at truly integrated marketing programs, you know, email is a key part of that in terms of whether it's nurturing, being part of a larger integrated campaign. It's really the lifeblood that helps fuel that nurturing and that customer journey. So there's, you know, we tend to look at it, I think, in a very, um, to use an email term, transactional way, that it's sort of yeah. this w one and done, batch and blast. Um, and the world is much more about journeys and nurturing. And we know that customers, you know, engage with, you know, they make 60% of their buying decision before they even raise their hand for us. So they're out there reading our reviews, consuming our content 
why not help them accelerate that journey with your email marketing program? Pay attention to what they care about. Segment your lists correctly so that you're sending them highly relevant content that actually puts it in context for them and helps them make better business decisions. I mean, so many things to, to say around that. Um, uh, the transactional side, is this just like a bad habit? Like we, we got some bad golf lessons one day and now we just can't kick that. Like what, why do we treat it so transactional? I think it, it just becomes, oh, we'll just send them an email. If we just send them one message, like the entire world is going to stop, drop, and start just right. you know, dumping money at our, at our company. And we just know that that's not how people make buying decisions today. Right. That's one tiny touch point in 5,000 that they're going to see mm. in that day. So you have to be really strategic really orchestrated and you have to be able to do this quickly. I think sometimes uh, people will get frustrated with their email teams because they'll ask for an email. They think you can just, you know, get it out the door in 15 minutes where some companies it can take for a single email to get out the door. It can take four to six weeks, depending on what's in their tech stack, how big their organization is, what does their review Seriously. cycle yeah. look like, how do, they, what did, how do they do testing, like what does that start to finish look like for them? So then it becomes, again, it, it, people say, oh, well, that's gonna take too long. I can't wait four weeks to get you know, this message or this nurture out there. So it's imperative on marketers to really make sure that they've got things like automated testing and automated workflow and all of that optimized so that you can shrink, you know, four weeks down to one if it's, you know, it's a, a, a like a three touch nurture or if it's a 14 touch nurture that goes out for, you know, several weeks and even months for you, just a couple weeks. But it's really imperative upon the marketers to optimize all of those speed bumps in the process so that they can become part of this digital drumbeat of activity that we've all become accustomed to in a zero patience economy. Zero patience economy. Snap. Um, that's the first time I've heard that before. And it <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Um, do you think some of this comes from that like B2C world? You know how sometimes we, we get a lot of lessons and tech from the B2C world. And we're like, Ooh, that's neat. And then, um, and then we mistakenly think, I mean, cause sometimes if you send an, an email out about running shoes and people are like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta get new ones. They say you can only run for so many miles on them. Like I got to yeah. switch them out. People will go to the store. They'll buy right there. They're like that direct marketing type thing. And, and they kind of take this same playbook when it's like, no, you're not in the same realm. You're, you're trying to sell like a, either some bigger purchase or something that someone's really got to think about. It's different. You can't just transcribe that. Yeah, I think there's a lot of goodness we can derive from the, the B2C world, even in B2B, because you know a lot of B2B SaaS companies will actually take transactions on the internet. So their oh. sales motion is actually a lot more like those shoes, those running shoes that, Interesting. that, that yeah. you just got a promo for, because the conversion point is actually a sale. It might be to go do a free trial for a couple of weeks, or it might be go direct to purchase. But it also could be the beginning of a journey for them in terms of learning more about your organization and what you provide and how you can help them. So right. I think what B2C has done really well is they really understand their, um, their subscribers, their customers. They've done a very good job of understanding what we care about and sending us messages so that 
you know, if, you know, if you were uh, a roller skater instead of a runner sending you running, you know, advertisements and, and promos on running shoes wouldn't be particularly relevant for mm. you. So I think that's a lesson that we can take from them in B2B is really having that highly relevant content that helps move that customer along their journey. Yeah, it's a good point too. That, and that's half the reason, and this is great that you're here because I know you, you work in both. I mean, Litmus, you can just get it yourself. Um, you, and you could do, I know you have a free trial as well. And we're going to talk a little more about Litmus in a second, but yep. um, you, you basically straddle both of those lines. And so you're thinking, you know, in some cases we may be able to drive some transactions here, but in other cases working with agencies or bigger companies, you know, they might be evaluating something, um, that kind of thing. So I, it's, it's a good point. Tell me about the, the automated testing and workflow, because I have seen companies, especially in the really burdensome, massive apps that, you know, um, were around since the eighties. And then it takes a team. I've seen it like weeks to do an email and then three days to send it. Cause you need like, it's like a, the classic joke. How many, how many marketers does it take to send <laughs> email with one of these really scary big tools a lot. And then somebody to turn the light bulb at the same time. So it's like, how, how do how do you, shorten that and you'd mentioned some things like automated testing and workflow what is that and what's your approach there yeah the and the reason why it takes so long is because it's highly highly complex today when you think mm. there's over 90 different devices operating systems email clients they're making updates every single day so keeping right. up with that and uh, is really, really burdensome for organizations. So you have to have some sort of automated plan and process because you couldn't possibly keep all of those devices and operating systems uh, in your marketing team and you know, say, you know, right. Susan, I'm gonna send this to you on, on your iPad. I'm gonna send this to you on your Samsung. You know, you just, you couldn't you know, physically do that and keep up with it. So you definitely need automated testing. Additionally, you know, it's getting more complex where, you know, what if you send this really important email, a huge promotion for your company, and then you learned after the fact that 40% of your subscribers are viewing it in dark mode and you didn't mm. test it in dark mode. Or what if there's a broken link there and you end up in a spam folder and it, you know, you may have the best email that you've ever done in your life. If it doesn't make it to the inbox, if no one clicks on it, you know, no one and re reviews it, it doesn't really matter. So, so tell me about that. Like a broken link could send me to, to the, the yep. spam box. Yeah. It, they, they can be quite sensitive. Um, and so that's why you, you really have to test everything and make sure that you've got a strong review process so that every email that goes out is on brand and as close to perfect as you can possibly get it because we've all received those, oops, we made a mistake email. Oh, and that's just not the experience that you want your subscribers and customers and prospects to have. It, especially if it doesn't even get through because Google's like, nope. Like I feel like Google controls a lot of the inbox too. They, they're deciding, is this quality? No, it's not. You know what, I, I, and I, I did this the other day. Like we have Gmail, G Suite and that kind of thing. And you look, there's a spam box, not even the promotions tab, but there's like actual spam that doesn't even see the light of day. And it's yes. interesting clicking on there because it's like the land for misfit toys. There's a lot of <laughs> emails in there. 
that Google is just this, and it does a great job of, but like, there's a lot of emails in there and you could end up in there too, if you're not careful. Absolutely. Absolutely. You have to, you know, it's a really, it seems, email seems very simple, but it's actually a very complex multi-stage process that you have to run and um, really create a best practice within your organization to do it consistently well over time. And when you do that, you build a tremendous amount of confidence in your subscriber base and your customer base, because they know that when they receive an email from you, it's not spam. The content's going to be relevant to, to what I care about. It's going to look good. All the, the links are going to work. I'm going to have a great experience and it's going to enrich me and help me in some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Did, and by the way, you got me on the dark mode because I, I was like, I have no idea. Do people read emails on dark mode? Yes. Yes. They, it's, and it's becoming more and more popular. Uh, so it's definitely, if it's not on your checklist, add it to your checklist today to make sure you are testing for, for dark mode. It's becoming more and more popular and we're seeing, uh, and, and we probably, um, at our company right now, we've just had an influx of questions around dark mode and, and testing for it and handling it. So it's definitely top of mind for organizations, but if you're not doing it, you should start doing it today for sure. Hundred percent. I've started experimenting with that, like reading it later on at night or something, just to not have a big glare for everyone um, around me. So interesting. Dark mode. Are there? I heard broken links. Dark mode. Any other things that we should be looking out for in the testing? I mean, there's a sounds like there's quite a few things we should be. Well, when you think about just the pure math problem in terms of the breadth of devices, operating systems, yeah. and browsers. You know, it becomes, you know, when you're you're basically 90 times a thousand, right? It's a big math problem. So you want to make sure that however you're testing, that you're doing it in such a way where all of those bases um, are covered. And you should have a good idea within your own subscriber base, what people are viewing your emails on so that you can double check in those areas to make sure all of the things that are, at least things that are known to you, that you've got that covered. But really... Why leave even, you know, a few consumers or a hundred people in a a send of a thousand, you know, out, you know, um, as part of that, you want to be as comprehensive and still do it really, really quickly to get it out the door in a timely fashion um, as you possibly can. It's such an interesting point, right? These people like to our very first point, they've invited us into their inbox, but we have to make it in there for them to actually... You know, and there's a little bit of friction in in that process to get in there. Absolutely. We have to earn their permission to get into the inbox. And that, you know, that's imperative on us to to serve them content and information that's highly relevant to them and that can be helpful to them. Um, Unless, you know, unless you're selling shoes on the, running shoes on the internet and you know that person is a runner, you need to nurture that relationship so that they can say that, oh, that's really, you know, a trusted provider. They're much more than someone who's trying to sell me something. They're actually mm-hmm. trying to help me. Yeah. Uh, and by feeding them in, with a regular cadence of compelling content and information that's not super salesy uh, is really a great way to get that invitation into the, the inbox. I think that's, that's so huge. How do you know when it's working? I mean, I, I've heard talk about ROI and that kind of thing, but how do you know 
can you calculate it? Can you show this, this thing that we've been taking for granted? Can you show how valuable it is? You can show it. And there's a, a few different metrics. I think sort of just, I would start with the multiplier um, uh, effect and really look at truly integrated email marketing as the center of your marketing mix. And how are you applying those insights? What are you learning about your subscribers when they receive an email? What was the most compelling part of that email? What did they hmm. do after they read it? If you're harvesting that information and leveraging those insights in your other channels, you're doing really, really well. You could also look at some more um, tangible metrics that you know your your CFO might like in terms of you know we talked about the ROI of of email, but also just the speed at which you're getting out the door. If you know if I if somebody called me and said I can help you get your emails out the door 75% faster than your team's able to do today, as a CMO, I'm going to take that that call and listen mm -hmm. and, and want to learn more about, you know, how uh, we can do that. Th those are good metrics for the rest of the business to understand that actually we optimize the entire workflow and our stack so that we can get great email out the door really fast opt and make sure that it's still been reviewed by all the right folks that it's going to make it into the inbox and that it can become a much more efficient part of the marketing mix. So that for, you know, a marketer today, I think a lot of us are figuring out how do we do more with less? Right. That's a good Definitely. way. Okay. And it's a good point too, that even harvesting that information around engagement with that email content is like an uncalculated ROI. There's, there's value there. There's immense value if you're harvesting that insight. I like the terminology. They're harvesting it. Like it's growing out here. You have a whole garden full. Why don't you take advantage of it? looking where people are starting with you and then you're feeding that information into your other channels for like, you know, paid media, you'd be able to calculate an ROI and that actually that person started their journey with us um, on email and they may have converted in paid media because we optimized that campaign yeah. around, you know, keywords and creative that engaged them on content that we knew that was relevant to them. You can certainly uh, put together a good, you know, ROI story there. Does this help during this time? Like, I feel like almost everything helps. I mean, it's COVID time. Everyone's looking at slashing and burning marketing budgets or not. Um, have, you, have you experienced that? Are you like in the middle of this right now? Yeah. So I think, you know, as, as marketers, um, we're accustomed when things, when the economy tightens up a bit, often our budgets are the first ones to be cut and then the last ones to be restored when things get better. And one of our first things that we look to when that happens is the almost all marketers will say, look, we've been investing in the database. We're going to market hard to the database because those are people who have already engaged with us. We know that they care. Let's start nurturing the database. And that's a really cost effective way to, you know, keep up that engagement. But, you know, I think that when we look at historical performance from different economic downturns, companies I know are tempted to, they might feel that budget cuts are in their marketing lineup are just necessary right now. But when you look at it from a historical perspective, you know, defense might win championships, but offense wins customers in a recession. 
And for companies that held the line, uh, Forrester's looked at this, Bain, McKinsey, they've gone all the way back since the, the Great Depression. Companies that held the line and continued to invest in marketing and the customer experience were res more resilient. They came out stronger mm -hmm. out the other side of it, and they were actually able to grow themselves, you know, out of the, the recession. So, you know, it's really important. It's hard for marketers because, you know, sometimes we don't have a choice um, when these cuts come. And so we have to look to things like email and other parts of our program where we can do them really efficiently. But if you're in that active debate with your leadership right now, go and do the, the research because there's lots of compelling, uh, really credible research that shows that actually we should hold the line right now on our budget and really continue to have our message out there because we know that marketing has a multiplier effect. And when we don't invest, particularly at this highly uncertain and emotional moment, it puts our sales teams at a disadvantage because mm -hmm. they're not getting the coverage that they need, air cover that they need from us. And if your brand goes dark during this time, you're mm -hmm. just opening the door for somebody else to come in and take that space from you. And why would you want to do that? You want to be, when things start to get better, you want to be in the best possible position to, to go even harder and faster. So true. I, I can see that happening and, you know, talk to people. It, it marketing in a, can be in a good way, like can be noisy. Like your, your company's out there. You're hello. Hi, Litmus. Like you're out here on a podcast. Like we're doing things. The ads are showing. It's a perfect time to be continuing that. Um, and even doubling down even on that as some people don't to your point, being present during this time, then it, I could totally see teams growing themselves even out of a COVID type situation because they're, they're, they're loud. And, and you're right. Like sales is not going, they're, they're there to have relationships. They're not going to be the ones shouting your name from the rooftop. Right. And so they may find themselves quite bored and doing, doing call down pro cold call programs to try to make up for the fact that there's no longer a, a flow of people coming in to reach out to. And you think about it, you know, maybe your customer base, whatever business you're in, maybe they're not actively buying right now, right. but they are listening and they are learning every day. And so you have an opportunity to help them on that customer journey. So maybe your sales cycle is a little bit longer than it was previously. You still have to nurture them through that, mm -hmm. that process. And the company that stands up and takes the leadership position is going to be the company that's positioned to win, you know, as we start to move our way through the recession and, and things get better over time. Right. You want to be that company that's, that's standing tall in, in that environment. And it's interesting too, because marketing seems to be the only department other than maybe finance paying the bills that like covers everything, like touches every part of the customer journey. It, Correct. And actually cares about all of it. Whereas a lot of people get a chance to focus. I mean, even sales really just focuses on the sale and then maybe that's okay. But marketing is thinking about everything. It's a big picture. Um, it really does sit at the center of everything. It does. It's, it, and it's really about creating those experiences. So mm -hmm. it's, you know, this truly life cycle view is that, you know, we think a lot of times we think about marketing in terms of getting people in the door, 
but marketing is nurturing them all along their journey with your company. So from the moment they become a customer, you're, they're getting messages about um, how they can optimize your solution, how they can best use it, how they can engage with other mm -hmm. users. Marketing is feeling every single one of those touch points through that, you know, loyalty experience with them and is really the one, uh, the, the key part that actually creates your one and done customers and to shout it from the rooftop advocates, because that's what you ultimately want from them. So marketing is usually the one that creates the messaging, the strategy, the positioning, executes those campaigns that happens long after the sale is closed. Cheers. Um, yeah. And, and ideally measuring it now would be more so more important than ever before to be able to show some kind of impact, not just a pretty face and a pretty booth at a trade show, but like we are making impact across the board, across every member of the team. Yeah. You need to make sure your, your leadership team understands all of those touch points where marketing is engaging and that the ripple effects of dialing back even a little bit are far greater than yeah, then no, we just, we won't get as many people to, you know, click on Google or Google ads this, right. you know, this month or this quarter that the ripple effects are far greater than what they probably understand. And so you need to be really explicit and laying that out for them so that they can clearly uh, grasp that. Where do you see this going in the future? I mean, we've got craziness going on right now. Um, cool tech. Right, cool changes happening. Um, anything coming around the corner that we should keep our eye open for? So I think everybody's talking about personalization right now, and I don't think mm. there are uh, many companies that are doing it particularly well. I think we're, you know, I think a lot of folks are are really struggling with how to do it because, you know, some companies struggle just to get first and last name correct in their, don't you they? know, <laughs> and it's you know because we all you know a lot of us have to deal with data integrity issues and complexity of our systems but i really think personalization is the thing that's going to make or break us in the next five years uh, because we know that people want to hear our messages but they want to hear them in a way that makes them feel like we understand them we understand their problems that we're actually trying to help them. And then you juxtapose that with what we see happening on the privacy side of the house, but they want you to give them all that, but you wanna make sure that their data is protected, that they're protected, that you don't abuse that privilege. And then as marketers, as we can see, you know, in the next two to five years, possibly working in a world without cookies, um, mm. Uh, it gets exponentially harder. So I think companies really need to make it imperative today. Get your house in order today. Don't wait until the, the last minute, you know, in two to three years and like, oh, we should probably figure out that personalization thing. Start working on it now to get it right so that you won't feel the shockwaves when, you know, when the world begins to, to change on us. Because your subscribers and customers want you to do that and they expect us to do that and they expect us even in that world to deliver these highly personalized relevant enriching experience that create amazing experiences for them so we have to figure this stuff out today
I'd, I'd heard that before, but the world without cookies, is that just like a marketing nightmare or is that something that's coming down the line, do you think? Yeah, it is. is it is company coming down the, the line as more providers, sort of the bigger providers in the market are going to be kind of putting walls around their customer and subscriber data. You can see uh, a world coming not you know, too far in the distance where there's a lot of information is held by a very select group of vendors. So that leaves most of the companies in the world um, without that information, mm -hmm. unless they've taken care of it within their own walls to make sure that they're doing the right things now. Um, and having to either pay a premium, even more so than we pay today to, to get that um, data, or just not having access to it at all. Okay. I don't mind not getting Facebook's data, but like if I can't drop my own cookie on someone, like, ugh, kill me now. But like the, <laughs> the, the whole, you know, the whole point is to get those relevant, like even with ads and whatnot, to get more relevant. And to your point, personalization. I actually like it when, if if there's an ad that actually speaks to me, great. And I was I've told people this before that like for a while, Facebook just totally missed the mark with me. So I went, I purposely went out and like started liking a bunch of stuff on Facebook that I like just so that maybe, just maybe the ads would be something <laughs> there that was I a like looking at, you know, <laughs> they're dumb things that don't even apply to me. So now I see a little more hiking boots and that kind of thing. Instagram has me figured out for sure, yes. which is funny because they're the same company, but not really. Um, but yeah, we, we want that, right? Like we want, and even on YouTube or TV, one day we'll catch up where, during the Super Bowl or even just in general, like I wouldn't mind seeing an ad for, hey, there's this cool marketing tech that you should check. I'm like, oh, interesting. Okay. Don't mind that commercial. That, Come on, that, let's, let's get more relevant. And that's why it's such an, an imperative because we know our customers and our subscribers and our future customers want us to know them and understand right. their problems. We have to do it in a really responsible way that provides a level of protection for them. But that's what makes it so, you know, so challenging is that we have to do both and we have mm -hmm. to do them both really, really well. What is personalization beyond the first name? You know, cause I, th I think you're right. We mostly just struggle getting, first name in there and then we think oh we personalized so what are we missing i think the piece is really what are you saying to them not just you know you know uh dear casey or hi yeah. casey um as you know sending you information about you know great hikes in new hampshire you know that it's information that you actually care about or some new gee whiz bang martech um technology that you haven't yet heard of that we could tell that it, that might be something that you like. So I think it's really the places like once you get your data clean and you have relative confidence and your data integrity, it's what do I send these folks? So you have to understand your segments, get back to basics on things like personas and really understanding who's in your segments and then send them highly relevant information. And then when you do send them, um, information really go back and look at what they engaged with because mm -hmm. you know some of your bets might not be right and you don't want to keep them in a nurture track and sending them you know information on hiking books and they don't care about hiking at at all um, so you need to really use every touch point as an opportunity to learn more and get smarter and do better with your segmentation 
You know, several times now you've mentioned this and I'm glad you are because it's like a point that's driving home with me to go back and look at what people have engaged with. I mean, how many times do we just send something out, especially if it's that transactional thing and we don't spend the time to go back and say, what, what happened? You know, like debrief on it. Just take a quick second to say, did people click on it? Didn't they? Could I improve this? Was it off the mark? But not going back and looking at that. So I, I, I wanted to call that out. But at the same time, the idea of, what are you saying to them is what real personalization is growing, going into be. I, I think yeah. sometimes I, I get into this sometimes on the tech side where you just get one, so one dimensional, like dropping, Ooh, we're dropping the company into the email. Like that's not what we're talking about. It's, it's so far beyond that. That's like first grade level. We're talking like, let's change the messaging so that it fits them to their personas and that kind of thing. I wanted to ask you about the segmentation and personas. What's your take on personas? So I, uh, I think they're still important. I think we got with some organizations and some companies that I've seen where they sort of got into persona sprawl, where they had so many personas and so mm. many different variations, it was almost inapplicable. But I think if you have a manageable number of personas and you truly understand your ideal customer profile, you understand your segmentation, they're incredibly valuable for your organization in terms of be sending people information and engaging with them in your marketing programs in a really compelling and highly relevant way. I mean, that's, you know, that's sort of your map uh, into things that they care about. Um, and having to understand, you know, if you're selling, we sell into marketing organizations. So understanding the difference between what an email developer cares about, what a marketing manager cares about, right. and what the CMO cares, yeah. you know, about. Those are very different um, uh, messages that you want to lead with in the, in contacting them. So I think it's 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 really really important to 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 do them. And sometimes people I think go through the exercise and they do them and then they don't do anything with them. It's just kind of almost like your brand guidelines where they kind of sit in some folder and that people might go back and look at them, but no, you got to train your sales teams on them. You have to make sure everyone in your marketing organization understands them. Any vendors that you work with have to understand them, that it's baked into your integrated marketing plan and that you continue to update them and refine them um, uh, and get smarter over time, whether you're doing that through surveys or you're doing that through one-on-one -on -one interviews with your customers and prospects that it's not a set it and forget it, um, type of initiative within your organization. Yeah. And don't set it and forget it. Um, do you give them cute names? Uh, let me, sir, what, what do you guys do? How do you approach we, it? We give them names of just regular people names like, you know, Derek, the developer. <laughs> <laughs> See, that could easily be Casey the coder. It could, it be. could be. It could be. Maybe we should change that. Maybe, Maybe. that should be our next update. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> you know, whatever gets people talking about them too, right? Just so that, to your point, they don't just become some like arcane page 24 on some brand guide that no one's going to look at anyways. Just keeping them at the forefront of everyone's conversation. Who is this for? Oh, it's for Derek or Casey or Marketing Mary, the manager. You know, like whoever it is, like uh, keeps it in front of them. And you have to keep validating that with your sales organization in terms mm. of who they're coming into contact with, because what we're seeing now uh, in the marketing world is that buying committees are shifting a little bit um, in response to you know some belt tightening from a budgetary perspective. So suddenly somebody 
um, from procurement, procurement might become, you know, part of your sales cycle. That there's something that you have to deliver for procurement or somebody who's in the finance organization who's going to be the, the, the final approver on that purchase. So you need to stay really interlocked with your sales organization. And as these things change in real time, be able to adapt that and then, you know, add more if you, if you need to, to make sure everybody can, uh, you know, be really effective on the front line and that you're, you know, when you're doing kind of surround sound marketing, if you're doing account-based marketing, that you're hitting everyone with the right message. It definitely ties into ABM. A huge point to validate with sales to see what they're seeing. And the fact that we, the buyer committee shifting and changing right now with COVID and anyone that's never dealt with procurement, um, you should probably be aware of them. Right. <laughs> even Because uh, they may, you may not like them. And if you don't know them, you need to understand, you need to understand what their goals are and who they are. And it's a, it's a totally foreign, different department that you may not be used to dealing with it, whatever department it is. So you know, don't be caught, you know, unaware and no, they don't care about the content you made for the marketing manager or the CMO or the, or the, the coder. They're a completely different entity, different goals. Yeah. Totally. Wow. Yeah. Sometimes I use that as a sales tactic when I'm buying my technology and that if, uh, <laughs> if we get stuck on price and I'm like, all right, I guess I got to bring finance in. <laughs> They're very cheap. Good luck. It's like good cop, bad cop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then procurement asks all sorts of weird, goofy questions that you can't even ask. Right. How much do you pay an individual staff member on your team? Like, what, right. what are you talking about? <laughs> and then marketing is like, what? What's going I'm on? I'm really glad you're here. <laughs> Uh, somebody else needs to deal with us. So yeah, just understanding the different groups is just so key, and and it's a it's a it's a committee oftentimes, especially with a larger sale. Yep. You are amazing. This is amazing. Thank you. I, I'm curious, like, who are you? Can you take us back in time? <laughs> take us back in time, like, you know, you're one, two years old. I don't know, Melissa. Like little Melissa days. <laughs> what was it like growing up as you? Did you always know you're going to be in marketing, or, or how did how did it all roll out? I came to marketing through a very unintentional uh, path. Uh, I grew up in a, a rural part of Northern Virginia. My father was uh, a Capitol Hill police officer. My no mom kidding. worked for the airlines back in the day when you could call somebody and talk to a human uh, being. And so when by the time I was 13 or 14, uh, my parents were very, very hard workers. My mother actually, my grandfather was a coal miner. My dad grew up on a farm. So hard work was something that was instilled at me at a very early age. So by the time I was 13 or 14, when everybody else went to camp and had fun, I got up at 3 a.m. and rode uh, and to work with my dad. And I would sort of be kind of a gopher or kind of almost like an intern, like on the, the hill for, you know, various, anywhere he could sort of get me to get in and, and work. So I did that, you know, that was my introduction into the world of politics and ultimately where I got my education at Roanoke College as I was a, a political science and U.S. history major, thought that I would maybe go to law school, didn't really know, but was very uh, interested in it and did well with it. So when I graduated, my first job out of school was at a, really a public relations agency slash, slash public affairs 
agency and their Washington DC office did more of the public affairs stuff. So the issues, and I really loved the issue centric part of it. But what I very, very quickly came to not like was realizing how much of my life would be spent at political fundraisers. Mm. And today, like I would gladly take a needle to the eye before I would ever go to <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a and, rough world. And, uh, and so I really quickly realized, okay, well, this isn't going to work for me over the long term. But I was fortunate in the agency that we also had commercial clients. And a lot of them would come to Washington, D.C. because they would need to go to the Hill. And so I gravitated towards the commercial side of the house and then ultimately left the agency world to go to my you know, first gig in a company, which was a company called ComSat that got acquired by Lockheed Martin, really doing public relations, investor mm -hmm. relations, marketing communications there. And that really set me on my path for technology and marketing because from there I went to my first software company where I did you know, more marketing, more PR. And then I actually started to shift into product marketing and spent the longest time of my career um, at Computer Associates or CA Technologies as they were known before they were acquired by Broadcom. And that's really the best training I think I ever had in my career to be ready to be a CMO. Um, for a couple of, I had a couple, I had a real interesting journey there, literally on my first day. So I was coming in and I was gonna work on the security management uh, team. And, and it was great because I had a background in security. I'd worked at a few security software companies. And the team that was going to uh, be on my team were people who had been at CA for a while. And I thought, well, this is great. I'm going to teach them about what they know. They're going to teach me this big behemoth organization. I had never worked in a company that large and was a little nervous about it. And literally on my first day, I'm there for two hours and my manager pulls me out of my um, orientation and says, hey, we just acquired this company. All the people on that team now report to you. <laughs> and you have to get on a call in two hours with 250 people on the sales organization and talk to them about go to market. And this company also sold um, consumer. So I which I had never done. I was always oh, no. a B2B person. Like, so I had to learn about things like end caps and stores and, 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 and basically had to get on that call and then really drive the integration of this acquisition within the company. So it was a terrifying but really valuable um, experience for me. And truly, I look at it now in that if that had never happened on that day, my career would have been completely different at, hmm. at CA. Um, uh, I think I still would have done well, but it, it completely changed my trajectory in that CA was a company that was growing by acquisition. And because I didn't, I know I screwed that thing up, but I, don't, I guess I didn't screw it up as bad as I thought I was <laughs> screwing up because I truly had no idea what I was doing. Right. Um, uh, but because I had some, some grit and I fought through it, I got to do, I got, I did six other acquisitions when I was there. So I ended up working in every single business unit within the company, except for the mainframe business unit. And it was incredibly valuable experience in terms of, you know, acquiring companies, what you have to do to integrate them. 
And then product marketing, there was really the centerpiece of the marketing organization. So I actually went in and worked um, across three different business units, which were companies that had been acquired. So I had that expertise. And then from there, I went to my first CMO gig um, at Channel Advisor, which is an e-commerce platform mm -hmm. provider. Um, from there, I went. After that, I went to Sugar CRM, and today I am here at at Litmus, and I think it's been about ten months now that I'm at Litmus. So that's that's the ride. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And so A very unintentional path into marketing. <laughs> granddaughter of a coal miner and, and a farmer and a and a capital cop and and. Man, like just hard work built into you, but you're right. Those different experiences, even one at CA where is that, is that normal? Like that, even that situation of saying like you're onboarding to be their, a product marketer, product marketer. Yeah. yeah I was the director of product marketing for this, for the secure in the security right. management business unit. And they just happened to acquire a security company that day and said, Hey, give it to the new person. <laughs> right. Cause it's security related. Yeah. Wow. And suddenly, what was the conversation like with friends and family after that day when you get home? Oh. Like, uh, well, I, was I was commuting from Washington, D.C. to the headquarters in New York. And so I was literally walking, you know, across the street to the hotel, across the street from HQ and trying not to start crying while I was walking back <laughs> for like the first couple of weeks was just complete, you know, uh, terror because I had never done anything like this. And I never had so many people looking to me to help, you know, guide us in the, the right direction. And there really as many acquisitions as CA had done there was sort of a playbook, but it was, you know, not really. So you, a lot of it had to be figured out in the, in the moment. So it was a lot of, lot of pressure, uh, in the, the beginning. It, it feels like that on uh, some fashion show, they're like, make it work, people make it exactly. work. Exactly. Like, yes, right. We're acquiring a new company. Yeah. Yeah. Make it work. You'll be fine. See, <laughs> at first I was going to say, this sounds like such an exciting opportunity, but then I'm like, why, why terror? But then you mentioned, all the people on your team who are looking at you to like, this doesn't make, I'm really confused. Can you, can you help me feel better? And you're like, wow, I have all these people <laughs> asking me for wisdom right now. And it's like, I don't even know what I'm doing. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's exactly what it was like. And then, you know, now it's, I look back at it and I think, gosh, how lucky am I? Yeah. If right. I, I really believe if that hadn't happened, it would be completely different today. I might not have ever been a CMO if that hadn't happened. Interesting, because right, it really stretched you, it, and you had to rise to the occasion. Um, how many people did they throw? Did, did you start it having some people on the team, and then they kind of added more? Yeah, I I can't remember. I think there was about seven of us, you know, total, um, and then because it, it was just the marketers, but really you were driving the whole thing. So integrating the sales organization, right. you know, I, for that company, I'm still actually very good friends with you, with the person who was the head of sales. Cause it was like the uh, two of us, you know, arm in arm trying to figure this, this yeah. thing out together. And they were a very small company coming into a very large company. And, you know, I had the best of both worlds in that I didn't know that much about CA and I didn't know much that much about um, the company that we had acquired. Wow. And that was on day one. Yes. 
you ended up staying there for four years. So clearly something worked out. Right? I stayed Almost there. Yep. Fun. I, yep. I stayed there. I went and I did a startup <laughs> and then I actually came back for, I was a boomerang. I came back for a, a second, a second helping. Sure. Man. Great. You know, crazy to think of. I mean, it, and even just I, little you was just going in helping your dad out around the Capitol. Yeah. And it was, you know, I thought it was, you know, great fun because back then, which is a long time ago, you could basically run around Capitol Hill with, I mean, you went through a metal detector, right. but you could run amok, uh, which you cannot do today. So there's all these tunnels and these little trains that the members use to get to votes and stuff. And I was getting on those trains with these, you know, yeah. uh, uh, vendors because my dad just kind of let me go like basically don't get yourself in in trouble right here and so you know you can imagine like all these senators and congressmen and you know little 13 year old me smiling at them and like you know the one suit that my mom was able to to buy me that I wore every single you know day so yeah it was it was a great ex, you know experience for me and I got to you know just see and learn things that you know I wouldn't have otherwise done right but I much rather would have gone to camp like my friends did I know right I'm like maybe now are there any adult camps I think you should make up for it <laughs> that's right that's, that's that's what vacation in Italy is all about it's just making <laughs> up for uh, not being able to go to camp um man you know hypothetical for you if you could go back in time because I might have a time machine in New Hampshire um, under a tarp in the backyard. If, you know, post COVID, you get a chance to use that. It's kind of funky though. It only goes back to a certain point in time. It goes back to a couple of days after you graduated from school. If you could go talk to yourself back then, what kind of things would you tell What kind of advice would you give yourself? I would tell myself to run towards the dumpster fire. Um, and that's because what I've learned, you know, you can think in most companies, there's some program, so pro some project, some business unit that's a hot mess. Nobody wants to touch it because it, it's such a mess. But the reality is that, you know, I wish I had known to instead of look for the bright, shiny object within the organization to run towards the dumpster fire because you're going to learn a ton in that process. And you'll either make it better, a little bit better, most likely. And if you don't, there's really no risk because it was such a hot mess that it just couldn't be fixed for some you know, reason. You're not going to have to carry that baggage with you for the rest of your career. I was so focused on trying to be perfect mm. uh, and everything that I was doing that you know uh that i think it held me back and it also created a situation as i got i advanced in my career where i had a bit of the imposter you know syndrome and that mm -hmm. i was in these roles and like gosh i i wonder if they realize i just i don't deserve to be here or i'm not good enough uh to be here and i think if i had tackled more of more dumpster fires earlier i would have you know gotten had that realization sooner Right. I mean, I think we all, a lot of people experience that, you know, I for sure have the idea of like, am I, is this, is this for real? <laughs> like, am I, did I BS my way too, too into too much or like, how did I end up here? Um, but just, just going after it. it interesting. Um, I, I haven't heard that before, but it makes total sense. Go, go after that stuff, go after the crazy. Yep. And if you can turn it around the Delta between where it was, it's where it is. Even if it's like you just straighten it out with a little bit, 
uh, a little bit of growth, it's like, oh my gosh, you turned this thing around. Think around, yeah. Yeah, yeah you're a hero. To the shiny thing where maybe, oh, it, it went down 1% or it didn't do anything this year. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah, you're the hero. And in that process, you will learn far, you know, we learn far more from our failures than we do our successes, I think. So um, I, I think it's an incredible opportunity. Yeah, and to, you know, and it, it's funny because you would normally think like that's you got to go risk it and go after that. But to your point, maybe it's not as big a risk as you think because if everyone knows it's a dumpster fire, then you know, and then you you can start telling that story not only to yourself but to other people and future companies saying, "Yeah, I, I go after the challenges head on, and in many cases turn them around if I get the support that I need." X. Yep. Absolutely. Crazy, crazy. Well, um, I wanted to ask you about, um, you know, Peloton because yes. I keep seeing them and I, I know you've got one. I know you're a big fan. I don't have one, but I got into spinning like right before COVID and then that hit. But uh, I mean, tell me, you've been, it was like a thousand classes now? Yeah, I'm, I'm coming up on 1100 classes. Um, uh, and so I too, I'm a runner. I um, have been running for years and years and years. And like a lot of runners, I got into the constant injury mode with mm. my running. And so I always felt like I was rehabbing something and I would be healthy for a couple of weeks. And it just made something that I truly loved something I wasn't loving anymore because I was so injured. So when I saw the commercials for Peloton, I looked at my husband the first time and I said, I'm getting one of those. Mm -hmm. And he said, you've never even taken a spinning class. I'm like, I don't care. I have to do something. And from the- and When was the first, this? When, when did you first see been, them? It was like, it was almost three years ago. I've had okay. a, mine for like two and a half, almost three years um, now. And from the first ride, you know, I was hooked in. I even sent at Litmus, I even make it my mission to talk about it all the time. And a bunch of people <laughs> have now gotten bikes and I get Slack messages like, hey, I got my bike today. Like, tell me who I should take classes from. But what I love, you know, it, there's so many things to love about it. What I think what's great is regardless if you're just getting off the couch or if you're, you know, an athlete, there's something for everybody mm. there. You can, you know, they have classes that are 10 minutes long. Who couldn't find 10 minutes in their day to, to break a sweat all the way up to 90 minutes, all sorts of difficulty, every music genre in the planet that you could possibly <laughs> care, you know, about, you know, as a person who grew up in the eighties, I like the eighties stuff. I like the classic rock. I take a lot of those classes, but there's also, also this this fantastic community there where when you're on the ride, you get these little digital high fives. You see a little hand comes up and you can high five them That's cool. uh, uh, back. Um, I've had the same best friend since I was nine years old and she also has a Peloton. And while I don't pay that much attention to my personal records, she pays a lot of attention to my personal records. <laughs> to your records. So, yes. So I get lots of smack talking text messages um, uh, from her. And a couple of weeks ago, I hopped on a ride and it was a day I was super tired. And I thought, I'm just going to enjoy the music. I'm not going to worry about my score, where right. I rank. And I see she's in my class. And two seconds later, I get a text message that is like, your butt is mine, girl. Oh, no. And I thought, oh, 
Now I really have to pedal. You can't but, let her get away with yeah, that. And all. I crushed her. I crushed her. If she knows if she's, yeah. if she's going to lay it down like that, I have to deal out the punishment. For Did it. you send her a little text after? Like you just got owned? She, well, well she's, I, before I could, she's like, you slayed. And I, yes, I did. Thank you very yes, much. And thank you for motivating me today. <laughs> it's true. She wasn't there. Maybe we try to just post that behind <laughs> the scenes. Just kind that's of right. I would, have, I would have just had a good good time. But I, uh, I slayed and I, I crushed my PR by like 20 points. So Jeez. thanks to her. Any tips for people who don't have a Peloton bike or maybe you're thinking about it? Any kind of best practices? Yep. So um, uh, what the great thing is they're offering the app. Peloton has an app. And so before COVID, I was somebody who lived down the road. I, I traveled last year, but mm -hmm. I did uh, almost 200,000 air miles. I, uh, but the Peloton wow. app, I can go into, you know, when you, when you were allowed to go into gyms, um, I could use that. And so I could still keep up with my um, fitness routine, but start with the Peloton app because there's running, there's walking, there's stretching, there's foam rolling, there's meditation, there's boxing. There's truly something for everyone. Jeez. And they have a free trial to, to get started. You'll literally, after the first couple classes, you, you'll, uh, you'll have your favorite instructors. Mm -hmm. You'll be following them on Instagram. <laughs> uh, it, it pulls you in in a really you know, special and fun way. Um, and then when you go from like the app to an actual bike, what are the things you get beyond what you were doing before? So um, you're gonna, uh, you'll have a more accurate reading of things like of your output and calorie burn. Yeah. Um, and you just get a little bit more data on sort of how you're, you're doing, but you still, the app's pretty rich. Like you can get high fives on the app. I have a hard time because it's so small when yeah. somebody sends me a high five. Um, but you know, the quality of the bike uh, is, is really good. And I actually had, and Peloton is fantastic in terms of their customer service. Anytime mm. I've had an issue, they've been really responsive with it to, to make it right and make it right uh, quickly. So the bike is, is great. It comes with these little hand weights. You know, you have your shoes um, that you, that come, that you buy to come with it and you're all set. And it's just, it's so easy. It's right there. You just go in and clip in and break a sweat every day. Um, and they do all kinds of challenges and stuff to keep you motivated. They have special music things where like this week they're doing, um, uh, there's a Prince, there's a Prince series across all the different, um, uh, different sports that you can take on Peloton and they just make it really fun. There's always, they do a great job with their community engagement and, and you get to take spin class with the best spin instructors in the world. I got to tell you what, I, I did not know they had an app that had a million different sports on it. I did not know they had a free trial. So Peloton, if you're looking for a CMO, not that Litmus doesn't need you, but like, you know, just shout out Peloton. And, you know, if you want to sponsor a podcast, do while you're at so it. So that'd be, that'd be, that'd be okay too, right? Be um, <laughs> yeah, this is cool. I'll have to check that out because, you know, um, I had done a lot of that, but not, not with an app. So I would definitely want to, I'm almost scared though, because it's like, well, if you get that, you don't need to go to the gym ever. You don't need to go back to spin classes. You just got your own right in, right in your basement, you know? Yeah, it makes it, it makes it convenient. And Very sort of convenient. the older classes before COVID, they had people in the studio and those are my favorite um, because you feel like you are, you feel like you're sitting yeah. right next to those folks and they do shout outs. Like when you hit your, when you have your, you know, your milestones, you get a shout out in the class and everybody claps <laughs> and, and, you know, it's no really, kidding. yeah. When I got my first one, it was real early in the morning. It was taken early 
class and um, my husband was still asleep and I got it and I started screaming and he comes running in. He's like, what's oh, no. wrong? And I just he said, Allie Love just sent my name. And, and then he just kind of, you know, walked out and was not impressed. Shaking his head. It just happened. <laughs> I got up for that. I thought you were dying. All right. So this is crazy. Good stuff. Um, where can people connect with you? Connect with you, social platforms, learn more about Litmus, all that jazz. So to learn more about Litmus, you can go to litmus.com. Um, uh, we've got lots of great content there, particularly um, our blog is really well known within, we call them the email geeks community. Those, that's the community that's been with us the, through, throughout this journey over the last 15 years. But you know, I talked a little bit about dark mode. There's tons of content on there about dark mode and the things that you need to think about it, whether it's a blog and we've done some recent webinars uh, around that. We have our annual, um, we have this big conference called Litmus Live. And obviously like a lot of companies, our conference is now a virtual conference. And uh, historically, you know, Litmus Live is something that we charged for. In the virtual format, we're doing it completely free and we've set it up on a monthly cadence. So every month there's Litmus Live day. And then next month in September, we're doing Litmus Live week. So there'll be a whole week of sessions. Wow. But, and we're, we also optimized the agenda. Historically, it's been very focused on email developers and email designers. This year, we expanded that to marketing managers, marketing directors, marketing VPs, and even CMOs to have a whole leadership track there so that as we see, you know, email becoming a bigger part of the marketing organization to make sure that everybody understands the value and sort of their role as part of the email marketing program and how they can use it strategically. So wherever you are in that, in that range, there's something, you know, for you to, to come and learn. And the, the goal of it is truly educational. There are no, there's no, you know, by litmus type things. We've always had that conference and it's been the hallmark of the conference where it's the place where you come and truly learn about email marketing and what matters to your organization there. Yeah, 100%. And I wanted to say this earlier when this topic came up around the different testing aspects, but I did want to turn the whole podcast into an infomercial because I'm a huge fan of Litmus, like huge fan. Um, my company has been using it for a long time and um, we used um, the sort of the partner version through Pardot. And then we went yeah. out and actually have purchased the, the full version to do multiple tests for ourselves and also for our clients. So like I'm, I've been a huge fan for a long time, hence me geeking out all the way. So I, I cannot say enough. Like, um, maybe not to the extent of Peloton because I don't know if you guys have an app. And you, I can't ride the Litmus bike, but I am a, I am a <laughs> big fan um, of uh, of Litmus. So I'm glad you know to be, for us to be able to talk. Where can people connect with you specifically? Is LinkedIn a good place for that? LinkedIn's great. I'm also on Twitter uh, mm. at mh sergeant. Um, I'm on Instagram, although I'm more of an Instagram. Like I kind of look at everybody else's uh, pictures, but I actually did post today. On, on Instagram, but uh, LinkedIn is really my, my primary vehicle. There's only so many social media that. channels that I can personally take care of and <laughs> like in any sort of consistent way. I just can't do all of them. And I know there's tools that help you do that, but I really do personally have to focus in on, on a couple and, and, and just let the other ones go. A hundred percent. And I think um, I've made Instagram my like sacred Valley where I, just follow the things that make me happy. So I'll see hiking and climbing and mountains and um, healthy people doing fit things and 
nutrition, like little happy Valley, whereas like Facebook is like all your crazy family saying crazy things. So that's just checking in to make sure my family's okay. But yeah, everyone has the different platforms. They go quick question. Um, your Twitter background, a big mountain range in there. Yep. So that, that, those are the Teton mountains in Jackson mm. hole, which is one of our uh, most favorite vacations from, uh, in fact, before COVID had been like, I can't remember what year it was. I was working at CA. I remember I was, de- I was definitely working at CA, but I think it was one of our favorite vacations. And in January, we typically go to the, the beach here. We live in North Carolina and, and go to the beach and we said, ah, let's do something different. Let's go back to uh, Jackson Hole. Well, we're not doing that this mm-hmm. this year, but uh, I keep it there because it it is just a truly magnificent place, and I can't wait to get back. It's a great it's a great photo. Yeah, any photo like that, just I instantly feel like I need to climb that thing now because it yeah. just looks amazing. Great hiking, um, great fishing. Like, I mean, I'm not a big fisher fishing person, but uh, you know, I just love being outside. So you can get me, you can put me in a canoe and I'll hang out with you or I'll kayak yeah. and you can have fun fishing and I'll just look at things and be happy to be outside. But I love hiking. Yeah. See, we'd annoy all the other canoers because we'd be geeking out on email marketing while in, <laughs> right. in the middle of the, the wilderness. Um, but yeah, sign me up for that. That sounds great. Uh, Melissa, thank you so much for coming on here and just hanging out with me, giving me all this wisdom and everyone else as well. Thank you. It's It's been a wonderful opportunity. Casey, you've been a fantastic host and uh, I truly, your your podcast is one that I listen to a lot because I love oh. hearing from other people uh, in similar roles who have similar challenges and hear about, you know, what they're doing and what they're recommending. It's incredibly valuable time that even if I went to a conference, I couldn't absorb, you know, that mm-hmm. much practical advice. So thank you. Yeah, no, it's a pleasure is mine for sure. And uh, for those people that are listening, if you learn something and I freaking know you did because <laughs> I have two pages of notes over here, front and back, then, um, gosh, I can't believe yeah, time has flown. I don't know if you looked at the clock, but like we talked about a lot of things. But um, if you've learned something, you know, every, everything from the, the transactional versus the journeys, the, the workflow, the testing, dark mode, like all these different things, just reminding yourself maybe a litmus free trial, the zero patients economy, any one of those things, write up your thoughts on it, throw it on LinkedIn, link to the episode, uh, tag Melissa, tag myself. We'll hop in there, comments as well. That's what thought leadership is all about. So you can do that with one person, nine, 100,004. Like who, who cares how many? Just get your <laughs> thoughts out. Um, and that's the way to make this work. Man, amazing conversations here today. Again, thank you so much for being on here. Um, maybe we'll have to have you come on back on and, and you know, right about when the live is happening, maybe a little after, talk about events. I would love to. That would be great. Thank you so much. Amazing. Uh, For those people listening, this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time.